We now come to Prime Minister's questions. Kirsten Oswald. Mr Speaker, I know the thoughts of the whole House will be with the family and friends of the four teenagers who died in a car accident in North Wales. And Mr Speaker, I'm sure we'll touch on it later, but let me just say that we welcome the agreement reached overnight for a humanitarian pause in Gaza. This is something that we have consistently pushed for and is a crucial step towards ending the nightmare for families of those taken hostage in Hamas's terror attack and also addressing the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today, his government will say that disabled people have a duty to work from home or lose their benefits, as if a suitable job of this kind is something that can be conjured up at will. It should be obvious to anyone that this kind of punitive policy isn't incentivising work, it's simply punishing disabled people who are already among the most marginalised in our community. So can the Prime Minister do his duty and tell us now how many of the 137,000 jobs on the DWP Find a Job website are roles which specify that you can work from home? Mr Speaker, it wouldn't be right to preempt the Chancellor's autumn statement later, but let me just say this. I'm proud, I'm proud of this Government's record in supporting those with disabilities. Mr Speaker, not only have we closed the disability employment gap, not only have we increased the number of employers that are now disability confident, we are also making sure that we support those who are most vulnerable in our society, not least with the cost of living payments this year, which include £150 for all those on means-tested disability benefits. Andrew Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that the measures taken to get us through the economic shocks caused by Covid and Putin's war were right for that time, but they are not the blueprint for the long-term successful economies of the future? Yeah. It's innovation and skills and investment in these, yeah. such as the imminent rebuild of Harrogate College or the 12,000 local apprenticeships we've seen since 2010. These are our foundation and not the fantasy fairy tale tens of billions of borrowing from the Labour Party. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, my old friend is right, and I'm proud that since 2010 we've created five and a half million apprenticeships. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Mr Speaker, that's the difference between us. We now know that the party opposite wants to halve the number of apprenticeships if they were in office. Meanwhile, we want to make an apprentice education secretary. But my old friend is right. Labour's plans to borrow £28 billion a year would just push up inflation, interest rates and taxes, undermining all the progress that we've made on the economy. And it's only the Conservatives that will give people the opportunity to build wealthier, more secure lives for them and their families. Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like the Prime Minister, I know the whole House will welcome the agreement reached overnight. We repeat our calls for Hamas to release all hostages immediately. This humanitarian pause must be used to get the hostages out safely, to tackle the urgent and unacceptable humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza, and to make progress to a full cessation of hostilities. Mr Speaker, in recent years, the international community has treated the two-state solution as a slogan rather than a serious strategy. And that must now change. Like the Prime Minister, I also am sure I speak for everyone in the House 
in saying our hearts go out to the families and friends of the four young men from Shrewsbury who tragically lost their lives this week. It's a living nightmare for any parent, and I can hardly begin to imagine their loss. Mr. Mr Speaker, this week the Prime Minister unveiled the latest version of his five pledges for the country. Let's hope he has more success with these than the last ones. Did he forget the NHS? Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, not only when I became Prime Minister, just weeks after becoming Prime Minister, we injected record funding into the NHS and in social care. We also unveiled the first ever long-term workforce plan in the NHS's 75-year history. But I'm pleased he mentioned the five pledges because, as he knows, three of them are economic. And on a day which we will focus on the economy, I'm pleased to report that we have indeed halved inflation. No thanks to the party opposite. We have indeed grown the economy and we have indeed reduced debt. That's a Conservative government delivering for this country. Well, the reason he ignored the NHS, not only in his new pledges, but just now, is because 7.8 million people are currently on the waiting lists. That's half a million more than when he pledged to bring them down nearly a year ago. The Prime Minister just claimed that this is all about economic growth. So let me ask him, if a labourer or a care worker is forced to wait a year for an operation, how are they meant to help grow the economy? Mr Speaker, we're doing an enormous amount to bring waiting lists down. Enormous amount. Expanding patient choice, rolling out new community diagnostic centres, new surgical hubs, as well as putting more doctors and nurses in our ward. But I guess the question, Mr Speaker, is when he talks about targets and waiting lists, I really just hope that the Welsh Labour Government aren't listening. After 25 years in power, they're missing every single one of his targets. Weren't they meant to be his blueprint? Mr Speaker, more than double the entire population of Wales are currently on a waiting list in England. He really needs to take some responsibility. And on his watch, 2.5 million people are too sick to work with the majority also suffering from mental health issues. On top of his failures on waiting lists, can he tell us how many people are waiting for mental health treatment? Mr Speaker, we've injected record sums to expand the number of mental health treatments in our country. But, Mr Speaker, I I talked about the practical things that we are doing with CDCs and surgical hubs, but he doesn't also seem to realise that the union action that he fails to condemn and that his members of parliament support from the picket lines have led to several hundred thousand cancelled appointments, all making waiting lists worse. And he asked about Wales, but we can look at it. In Wales, over 70,000 people are waiting over 18 months for treatment, compared to in England, where, thanks to our efforts, we have virtually eliminated 18 months' wait. And that's the difference between us, Mr Speaker. He wants to play politics. We get things done. So raising the waiting list by half a million is getting things done. He's through the looking glass, this one. I asked the Prime Minister how many people are waiting for mental health treatment. He knows the answer, he just doesn't want to give it. 1.2 million. 200,000 are children, some waiting nearly two years to be seen. 
Would the Prime Minister accept those kind of delays if it were one of his family or friends? Well, Mr Speaker, one of the key things we are doing to bring down waiting lists is to expand the access of patient choice. It's a very straightforward idea to make sure that patients can choose where they get treated, and that way we will bring down waiting lists for mental health and other treatments far faster. Now, the Labour Party's policy on this is a total and utter mess. First, he promised, in his words, to ban NHS use of the independent sector. Then he said he wants more use of the independent sector. His shadow health secretary agreed with that, but then the deputy leader said that she would end it. As ever, you simply don't know what they stand for, and you can't trust a word they say. As ever, no responsibility for the shocking state of the NHS. The truth is the Prime Minister would not accept those weights for his family, and neither should anyone else. This morning I spoke to an NHS nurse. For many months, for many months, Cam struggled to find time to, to see her 14-year-old son, Mikey, until he became seriously unwell. And now he hasn't been able to be in mainstream education for over a year. Mikey's mum is having to balance nursing with caring and being a parent. And this isn't a one-off. There are families up and down the country in exactly the same situation, working hard, trying to get through the cost of living crisis, whilst desperately worried about relatives who can't get the treatment they need. How does he think they feel when they see the Prime Minister refusing to take responsibility and boasting that everything is fine? Mr Speaker, we're doing absolutely everything we can to put money into the NHS to bring down the waiting list, because I do want families up and down the country to have access to the health care that they need. He's absolutely right. They do deserve it. But then it is incredibly galling, Mr Speaker, to hear this from someone who, when there are strikes happening in our hospitals and people are being denied access to emergency medical care, not only, not only does he not have the strength to condemn it, he refuses to back legislation that would guarantee all the families that he talked about that access. This is on his watch. It's his responsibility. 13, 13 years in, and all he's got to offer is trying to blame the opposition for his failures. Over and over again. Mikey's mum, Mikey's mum. I'll tell you what Mikey's mum said to me this morning, shall I, if you're so interested to hear. She said, she said, and I'm going to quote her, she said, whatever spin the government puts on it, you can't hide the reality for ordinary working people. That's her words. Worth reflecting on. Now, I'm glad that in recent years, real progress has been made in tackling the stigma surrounding mental health. But the fact remains that the suicide rate for 15 to 19-year-olds has doubled since 2010, and suicide is now the biggest killer of men under 45. And they're not just statistics. Every single one is a tragic loss to families and to friends. Politics has the ability to turn this around. It means tough choices. If we were to scrap tax loopholes, We could have thousands more staff, more support in our schools, more support in our communities. That would allow us to treat patients on time, getting them back to work, back to their families, and, crucially, 
giving them their lives back. This is about mental health. That's Labour's plan. Will he back it? Well, Mr Speaker, it was this government that, for the first time in the NHS's history, ensured that it had a long-term workforce plan, providing it with record funding so that we can eliminate long waits, but also ensuring that it has the money that it needs to train record numbers of doctors and nurses, whilst radically reforming how they work to improve productivity, because the only way we will get everyone the treatment that they need is to make sure that the NHS has a fantastic staff that it needs, and it's this government that has put that in place. And we can look, because he talks about records, Mr Speaker, because this is something that no government has done in the past. It's something I'm proud we've done. Labour's record on this issue is clear. It was a disastrous failure of workforce planning. And those weren't my words, Mr Speaker. Those were the verdict of the Labour-chaired Health Select Committee. It was Labour that did not train the consultants that we would need now, that take 13, 14, 15 or years to train. And it's this government that is for the first time making sure that every family will finally have the doctors and nurses that they need. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Access to housing that local people can afford is the biggest challenge we face in Cornwall. And whilst we need to build more houses, we need to ensure that they are available and affordable to local people and meet the needs of our rural and coastal communities. Now, uh, local knowledge, particularly from elected representatives, is an important part in ensuring we achieve this. Yet the Leader of the Opposition has made clear that his intention is to ignore or override the views of local people in decisions on planning uh, matters. Can the Prime Minister assure me and the people of Cornwall that under his government the views of local communities will play a part in the planning process? I thank my honourable friend for his excellent campaigning on behalf of his constituents, and I agree with him that housing must meet the needs of local communities, and our affordable homes programme is delivering hundreds of thousands of homes across the country. But crucially, on this side of the House, Mr Speaker, we believe that local communities must be consulted. In contrast to Labour's plan, which is top-down housing targets, concreting over the Greenbelt and destroying our precious countryside. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I, I think all of us in the Chamber are united in our relief at reports that hostages are due to be released by Hamas in Gaza. But we can't afford to lose sight of what comes at the other side of the temporary pause in hostilities that we are about to see. At the end of four days, do we simply see the return to the killing of children in Gaza every 10 minutes? Or do we choose in this House to instead back a permanent ceasefire? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, we do welcome the agreement reached overnight. And as I said, this is something that we have consistently pushed for and is a crucial first step as we try and resolve this situation and, indeed, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Of course, we want to see all hostages released as quickly as possible, including British nationals, and I would urge all parties involved to deliver the agreement in full. Uh, I would also like to put on record my thanks to Qatar for their important role, and we will continue to work with the United States and Israel to ensure the safe return of hostages and maximise the opportunity of this temporary pause to step up aid to suffering civilians in Gaza. It is something that we have pushed for, we have continued to do, and the UK is playing a leading role in delivering. Mr Speaker, ultimately it is not a pause 
in the killing of children that we need. It is an end yeah. to the yeah. killing yeah. of children yeah. that we need. And I can think of no better time than now for the Prime Minister to advocate for that permanent ceasefire. But given that he won't currently do that, will he instead lay the foundations for that two-state solution by finally recognising the state of Palestine? Yeah. 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 Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, actually what the agreement that has been reached demonstrates that it wasn't right to have a unilateral ceasefire and what was right was to do, as we have done, consistently push for a pause that would allow not just for aid to reach the people in Gaza who desperately need it, but also for hostages to be released. That is what we have pushed for, and I'm glad that that is now being delivered versus a unilateral ceasefire, which would have emboldened and strengthened Hamas. And our position on the Middle East peace process more broadly is clear. We do support a negotiated settlement leading to a safe and secure Israel, living alongside a viable and sovereign Palestinian state. I've spoken to President Abbas and met with him to discuss this issue, and we are clear about strengthening the Palestinian Authority and reinvigorating efforts to find a two-state solution. And our long-standing position is that we would recognise the state of Palestine when it best serves the interests of peace. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, can I welcome the Prime Minister's Network North project, uh, which will see the full £1.7 billion put into the Midlands Rail Hub, which will reopen uh, the central platforms at King's Norton train station, which have been derelict for so long. Um, and can I ask him to bring forward the cash so we can increase capacity on the line and improve journey times? And can he look at my campaign to extend the new Camp Hill line to Longbridge, uh, which will open open up access to the new Longbridge Business Park, which he visited earlier in the year, which will be bringing back manufacturing jobs to Longbridge for the first time since MG collapsed in 2005. Well, I am pleased that my honourable friend's constituency will benefit from the decision on HS2 and benefit significantly from new Network North funding, an additional billion pounds to deliver the Midlands Rail Hub in full. And I know that decisions about King's Norton are due to be made later this year, uh, which should be good news to him. And the extension of the forthcoming Camp Hill line services between Birmingham and King's Norton and Longridge uh, will be assessed in due course as well. So I hope that's helpful and I'm sure the Rail Minister keeps him up to date on progress. Several Roberts. Right, I'm sure the Prime Minister will join me and the communities that I represent in sending heartfelt sympathies to the families and friends grieving at the loss of four young men lost in a tragic accident in Carrick, Glanbrothen this week. People in North Wales pay the highest standing charges on energy bills at £340 a year. That's a third more than London. That's despite having lower average incomes and people there living in older poorly insulated houses. With a further increase in standing charges due next April, he must recognise that he can't leave this to Ofgem. Will his government, therefore, tackle unfair standing charges and that before winter sets in? Mr Speaker, we have provided an extraordinary package of support for households across the country to help with energy bills, totalling almost £100 billion over the past year uh, or two. The Ofgem price cap has also fallen to around £1,800 currently, and our price guarantee will remain in place till spring of next year, which will provide further protection for families. But, crucially, the Chancellor announced previously that we have removed the premium paid by households using prepayment metres until the EPG ends, bringing their costs into line 
with those paid by comparable direct debit customers, and we continue to provide considerable support for vulnerable families throughout the winter with their energy bills. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Setting strategic aims for the Middle East requires us to be precise about the terms we use, and that includes the word peace. Peace is not just the absence of war or conflict, but the freedom from the fear of conflict or oppression or terror. Peace requires mutual respect, freedom from persecution, and living without fear of destitution. It comes with self-determination and liberation from arbitrary justice. It needs hope and dignity and enforceable rights. Does my right honourable friend agree that only when all the people of the Middle East can achieve all of these things can any of us talk about having achieved peace? Well, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with my right honourable friend and thank him for what he says. And I know his advice will continue to be of value to the government as we find a way for a peaceful, more secure future for everyone living in the region. Patricia Gibson. Yeah, Thank yeah, you, yeah, yeah, Mr yeah. Speaker. The Scottish surcharge on energy, according to Ofgem, means that people in Scotland pay 50% more in standing charges yeah. than Londoners, oh, despite oh, exporting 3.2 million yeah. hours of electricity to England in the yeah. last two months alone. Energy, Meanwhile, yeah. Scottish oh, green energy producers pay higher charges than English power companies oh, to connect to the grid. Yeah. Does the Prime Minister think that this is fair to Scotland's consumers and businesses? Mr Speaker, I refer to my previous answer about the considerable support that we're providing to families across the United Kingdom uh, with their energy bills. And actually, what would be good, she mentioned Scottish businesses, what would be good is if the SNP realised that they should support the 200,000 people employed in Scotland's North Sea oil and gas industry. Kevin Foster. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. The latest film from Torquay's Unleashed Theatre Company, Three Steps, outlines the impact of homelessness. What further steps does the government plan to take in order to ensure everyone has a place of their own? Prime Minister. I thank my honourable friend for highlighting the important work of his local theatre company, Unleashed, and I wish them well in their future endeavours. Uh, we are investing an unprecedented £2 billion over the next three years to tackle homelessness and rough sleeping, including building thousands of move-on homes and implementing our landmark Homelessness Reduction Act, which has already pre prevented or relieved almost 600,000 households from suffering from homelessness. Let's go Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Why are 34 per cent of children in my constituency living in poverty? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, it's this government that has ensured that across our country 1.7 million fewer people are living in poverty as a result of the actions of this government. Yes, that is true, Mr Speaker. Not only that, hundreds of thousands fewer children are living in poverty and income inequality as at a lower level than we inherited from the party opposite. But, Mr Speaker, we don't want any child to grow up in poverty, and the best way to make sure that that happens is to ensure that they do not grow up in a workless household. And that is why the right strategy is to ensure that we provide as many children with the opportunity to grow up with parents in work. And because of the actions of previous governments, several hundred thousand more families are in that. Got it. Durham Henry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have a question about apprenticeships. It is vital that individuals of any age can train and retrain for good local jobs, further education and skills opportunities that are available. So will the Prime Minister work with me in my campaign to establish an apprenticeship hub in Broxstone? 
thank my honourable friend for all his campaigning on this important issue. Uh, we've delivered over 9,000 apprenticeships in his constituency of great local businesses, including some that I visited as Chancellor, like Hair Evan Hair and Beauty from memory. But while we continue to invest in apprenticeships, we know the party opposite now want to halve that number, and that is the difference between us. Whilst this, on this side of the House we want to give people a hand up, all Labour want to do is keep them in their place. Andrew Weston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With 316 arrivals by small boat this week, last week's Supreme Court ruling on Rwanda has left this Government's lack of a compassionate and functioning asylum system totally exposed, with refugees suffering as a result and chaos at our borders. So could I ask the Prime Minister, yes or no, does he now intend to disapply human rights laws in order to continue wasting time and money on this cruel and discredited gimmick? Mr Speaker, I'm glad the Honourable Gentleman mentioned the the small boats arrivals. I'm I'm pleased to tell him that thanks to the actions of this Government, the number of arrivals are down by over 33% so far this year. No thanks to the party opposite that has opposed each and every single measure we have taken to stop the boats. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Whilst the Labour leadership at Kirklees Council are looking to close Colne Valley Leisure Centre, hike up car parking charges and being criticised by their auditors for the way in which they manage their resources, there has been lots of good news for my bit of Yorkshire this week. £64 million of levelling up cash for Huddersfield Market and the Penniston Rail Line upgrade and the West Yorkshire Investment Zone, focusing on the National Health Innovation Campus at the University of Huddersfield. Will the Prime Minister continue to invest in West Yorkshire and come and see some of these fantastic... Prime Minister! Well, Mr Speaker, what great news. What great news. I was delighted to hear that the third investment zone was announced in West Yorkshire and, indeed, money for the Penniston Line rail upgrade and regeneration funding for Huddersfield Open Market. My honourable friend is right, though. You know, while the Labour-run Kirklees Council is not investing in closing things, it's this Conservative government that is backing communities across the north. On Monday, the government's chief scientific adviser, Patrick Vance, told the Covid inquiry that the now Prime Minister had not asked for advice regarding Eat Out to Help Out. But on the 9th of March two years ago, the Prime Minister told this House that, and I quote, at all steps in the crisis, we have taken the advice of our scientific advisers. He was right. Mr Speaker, as he knows, there is an ongoing statutory inquiry into COVID. It's absolutely right that that process is followed. I look forward to providing my own evidence in the coming weeks and addressing all these questions. But it was the case that the government took advice from scientific advisers. And again, that's exactly what this inquiry will go over. Mr Speaker, since I recently shared my own experience of birth trauma in this chamber, I've been inundated with mums writing to me from across the UK to share their stories. I received a concerning email last week from a Staffordshire mother who'd like me to raise her concerns about Royal Stoke University Hospital. She also experienced birth trauma and has been told that due to the time elapsed, 
they will not be able to investigate her concerns. It is not acceptable to me that my constituents are not having complaints investigated by my local hospital. So can I ask the Prime Minister to urgently meet with me to discuss this? And can I also ask him to include birth trauma in the refreshed update to the Women's Health Strategy? We must do better to provide aftercare to all mothers in this country. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for raising this important issue and for continuing to be a fantastic campaigner on birth trauma. I'm pleased that the first ever debate in Parliament on birth trauma was held recently in October. It was powerful, it was moving, and it highlighted just what a significant impact birth trauma can have on so many women's lives. Uh, the Department for Health are working with NHS England to make sure that we can improve maternity care and making sure that mental health care is also improved to deal with this. And I will ensure that the Health Secretary meets the honourable friend so that we can ensure that we get this right for all the women who are depending on it. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Speaker, yeah. in the last 13 years, the six oil and gas licensing rounds by the Tories have produced only 16 days' worth of oil and gas for the UK. Can the Prime Minister explain how doubling the number of licensing rounds will have any impact on the insanely high energy bills my constituents are facing? If he cared about energy security, jobs, or the environment, he would surely be better matching the Scottish Government's £500 million investment in a just transition and providing a £400 rebate to bill payers. Mr Speaker, not £500 million. We're investing tens of billions of pounds in the energy transition, not least with things like carbon capture and storage, uh, which the North Sea can play a starring role in. But it's just completely wrong. In order to have energy security, it's right to exploit the resources that we have here at home. Even the Independent Committee for Climate Change projects that we will still need oil and gas as we make the transition and in decades' time. So the question from the Honourable Lady is, are we better off getting that here at home, supporting Scottish jobs and businesses, or are we better off putting that money in the hands of foreign dictators and shipping it here with two or three times the carbon emissions? Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today I'm hosting 14 Ukrainian teenage children here in the House of Commons whose parents have been and are fighting the Russians in Ukraine. Six of them have been orphaned. They are up in the gallery, but they will also be in the IPU room from 1 till 2.30 this afternoon. So I know it's a busy and important day, but all colleagues are welcome to drop by if they are able. So will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to the parents of these children and take this opportunity to reiterate our steadfast support for the people of Ukraine yeah. in their fight for their independence, their freedom and their nation's survival. Yeah. Well, I do join my honourable friend in paying tribute to the parents of these children and many others, uh, but also to take the opportunity to say that whilst events in the Middle East have been dominating the headlines, I can assure my honourable friend that we and our allies are steadfast in our resolve to support Ukraine for as long as it takes for them to achieve victory. And that's why the Foreign Secretary visited both Kyiv and Odessa last week, confirmed the UK's continued unwavering support for the Ukraine. Putin cannot hope to outlast the incredible resolve or spirit of the Ukrainian people, and they should continue to have our support for as long as it takes. Daniel Zeitler. A few weeks ago, the world cringed at the Prime Minister's fawning welcome for Elon Musk. Yep. And this week, advertisers are fleeing, fleeing Musk's flat platform after his latest vile outburst. So what exactly did the Prime Minister think he might learn from an unelected super-rich individual who had taken over a once-successful organisation and plunged it into a death spiral. Well, 
is, Mr. Speaker, it is, it is striking. It is striking from the honourable member, the honourable member from Cambridge, of all places, of Cambridge, of all places, to, to absolutely not understand the importance of technology sectors and companies to the growth of our economy. Absolutely extraordinary. It actually illustrates everything that is wrong with Labour's approach to our economy, Mr. Speaker. What the rest of the world saw was the UK playing a lead in defining the regulations and approach to a technology that is going to transform how we live. It was a great example of the UK leading the way, an enormous tribute to our incredible entrepreneurs and businesses, many of which are being poorly represented by him and his constituents. Today is Red Wednesday, when we remember millions of Christians and others worldwide persecuted for their faith. People like Margaret Atta, a nurse, a lovely young mother of four, here today from Nigeria, who hid behind the altar as her church service was attacked. 100 were injured, 41 killed that day simply for being in church. Margaret lost both legs and an eye. And thousands more suffer similarly in Nigeria each year. So does the Prime Minister agree that the best way we could honour Red Wednesday today is to commit to quickly implementing the good words of the new International Development White Paper published yesterday to ensure UK development policies going forward are inclusive of those marginalised for their religion or beliefs. Prime Minister. Can I thank my honourable friend for her continuing dedication as my special envoy for this vital issue. Red Wednesday is an important moment to demonstrate our solidarity with Christians and all those persecuted around the world for their religion or belief. And marking this event annually was just one of the recommendations in the Bishop's report. And I'm pleased that today we will light up FCDO buildings in the UK in red in support. And I'm also pleased to say that we've taken forward all 22 recommendations in a way that we believe is making a real change for those persecuted for their religion or belief. That completes Prime Minister's questions.